Today on the Dolby Institute podcast, filmmaking advice for first-time filmmakers from first-time filmmakers. I recently sat down with the participants from the Dolby Institute and Ghetto Film School finished the script challenge on the day after their big Los Angeles premiere to talk about their experiences while it was still fresh in their minds in order to get their unfiltered perspectives. What was it like watching their films on a giant screen in a packed theater? What would they have done differently? How did they deal with tight budgets, difficult crew members, and even their own imposter syndrome? Whether you're a film student or an aspiring one about to become a first-time filmmaker or a seasoned pro, this is a rare glimpse into the raw insights of young directors who have each taken the first step into their professional careers. The links to all their films are in the episode description, but their advice is universal even if you haven't seen them. All that and more on today's episode, which is the 150th episode of the Dolby Institute podcast. I am thrilled today to be sitting down with the filmmakers for the year two GFS Dolby Institute Finish the Script Challenge. We have Caitlin Ali, who directed Pause Play, Brittany Bautista, who directed Fruits of Your Labor, and Thomas Sawyer, who directed Sirens. I also want to give a shout out to the fourth director, Miguel Ramirez, who made a pretty remarkable movie called Zora's Last Day. But he is out on the picket lines with his union brothers and sisters uh, with the WGA today. So he's not able to join us. Well, one of the things that we did a little differently this year with the Finish the Script Challenge is uh, we brought all of you to Los Angeles last summer. After you got, after you got picked, <laughs> like about two weeks later, we said, you got to come to LA for a couple of days. And I know that that was a, that was a, a difficult thing for some people, to, for some of you to like drop everything and, and come to LA. But we wanted to get everybody together for a couple of days for this intense kind of script workshop mm -hmm. and have this opportunity to put you all in a room with Carlos Lopez Estrada, read each other's scripts, uh, give each other feedback, really kind of tear things apart and play with, you know, before you went out and shot, obviously. So I, I would love for you to tell me about like that, that couple of days. What was that process like for you? Were, did you feel ready to have other people look at your material? Like what was it, what was it like kind of in a public fashion like that, kind of workshopping and sharing your ideas? Because there were some pretty interesting conversations that came out of that. And you guys, you guys questioned each other quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, I, I think for me, it was, I was so excited to see what the other filmmakers came up with um, from the prompt. And it was just really nice to like workshop our scripts, like literally at a round table, we can't leave the room, like we have nowhere to go and just focus on our ideas. Um, and I think it was super helpful to be in person, um, especially, I know for Thomas's film when we were like confused about like the body swapping and like how that worked, like draw, literally physically drawing it out was so helpful. Um, That's right, at one point you like jumped up to the dry erase board and like mapped everything <laughs> out and like, like walked. This is where through. she is. I needed a brain dump. Right. I couldn't. It I, was I can't. amazing, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And you're like going through the drawers looking for markers. Like yeah. it was so great. Yeah, that 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 table read experience was one of the like highlights of this process for me, because this was the first time I've ever written anything. First time I made a pitch deck. First time I've dabbled in narrative, and I have avoided critique for a very long time. I've been very insulated. And so kind of getting thrown in the deep end was like, it's it's crucial. But I remember being in that room and I like 
we, we went in, in order of how we were seated. So Miguel went first, then Caitlin, then Brittany, and I was last. And I remember, like, the second script we read, I just shut down. And I, I went into a panic. And I was like, I don't belong here. I don't, I'm not supposed to be here. These people are great. I'm not. And the thing that I learned through all that process was, like, this is the time for me to make mistakes. This is the time for me to be vulnerable. Uh, GFS and Dolby have taken the time to, they, they've, they've taken a shot on me. They've, they've trusted me. They've, they've showed me respect. And I need to be present here in a way to be respectful for them. And it allowed me to just be open and, and just kind of release. I definitely felt that way too. Um, going into it, I was very intimidated by everyone. Like everybody's so charismatic and outgoing. And I was like, oh my God, I don't belong here. Like it's scary. I've never done something this big. And like having all the attention on us like was crazy. Like I love attention, but what? at the same time, I don't. Like it's scary. <laughs> um, just everybody, everybody was there. Everybody there was so supportive and just so passionate about helping us, which was so comforting. Like the entire Dolby team, the entire Ghetto Film School team was just like from day one, like so supportive. And I think that was what was so motivating about the project and made me want to like put my all into it. Um, and I think the other thing that was nice too is having a group of people that are writing a script that is like really absurd and uh, like sci-fi based because when I told this idea to like my friends at school they were like that's crazy <laughs> and like why are you doing that why is it like a body swap like I told one of my professors in college and she was like oh that sounds really ambitious like I don't know if you're you can do that and I, I hear that all the time like with all of my ideas it's like that's too ambitious like you need to like change some stuff so that you can shoot it more realistically and I was like well, you guys told me like it was cool, so I'm gonna stick with it. Um, but I think the fact that we were all like yeah. writing films about body swaps, like I feel like it was a safe space to talk about the ideas, but like versus like in my class, they were like, why are you writing a Freaky Friday type film, no. you know? <laughs> they so you embracing. actually, so you went back, you're at, you were at NYU, right? I'm at Pratt. At Pratt, okay. Yeah. So you took the script and went back and you actually, you did so, some work on it in the context of your schoolwork as well? Yeah, it was originally gonna be my senior thesis and it was, the feedback was so different um, at um, my school versus here, so. I think it was really nice to have the support like in this space. Like I felt very safe like with my idea. Here's what I'll say about film school because I went to film school, I went to UNCSA and that is like you are like fully enveloped in film from like freshman to senior year and like you breathe and eat it 24-7 and I feel like when you start off in like in your in film school and then eventually when you get into the industry there's just like such a major shift because now you're actually starting to work but like i remember in the screenwriting classes that we had we would like tear each other's scripts apart <laughs> and like you're coming like and especially because like you know you're coming out of high school or you might be or you know like you know how to be coming out of high school but like that's your first time in a setting where you're like trying to critique other people's work and I feel like they're still in the stage of like learning how to critique and also learning how to like you know sandwich notes and all those things so I feel like we were doing that in the room and we had 
like professionals who have like worked in the industry or currently working in the industry and we have so many voices when we had like you know amanda we had you know glenn we had all these voices in the room and even carlos and someone who's like literally directing huge studio films and he's here to like be supportive and i feel like sometimes there's this competitive edge that's in college and so you know it gets yeah. a, it gets a little heavy, but i feel like it was such a good move on y'all's part to do this workshop, I was so excited because it kind of brought me back to this, like, oh my gosh, I haven't done this since college, and I was ready for us to all tear yeah. each other's scares apart. But like having like that group and 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 trying to be supportive of each other, and you guys set the tone from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I think that was helpful. Thomas, I'm curious to ask you. I feel like your project probably changed the most from the first script that we read to what we saw last night. Yeah, and. I'd love for you to talk just about the kind of the evolution of where you started, the story, the story you started telling and how it changed and evolved over the process. Yeah, so that was really wonderful. I think, simple answer, feedback. Um, so it came from the table read and like the script that we, we read was just my first draft. And like I, I was planning to do a rewrite and lost track of time. So I'm presenting this thing that is insanely rough, which, Again, like I said, when I was there, I was starting to freak out about. But on the back end of it, hindsight, I realized that it is it was so so wonderful because I had the most space to go from. from. And so I went into the rewrite uh, thinking about um, how to consolidate. I started with this concept that was really complicated. And I had, uh, so my, my film Sirens is about a teenager who's struggling with their identity and originally, it had a, more of a body swapping element. There was another character that I had introduced. There's multiple locations. There's all of these things. And through the pre-production, the writing process, the table read, I was able to consolidate that down. And then we were, when we were planning the filming, I knew I was going to have to shoot it in 10 days, or not 10 days, in two days. And um, I had access to this location that cost me a tenth of my budget to rent and so I was like I got to make the most of it so I cut I shaved off all the stuff there and then we came into editing and I started shaving things off so the thing that you're seeing on the back end is a film that has been written one way then shot one way then edited one way and it's it's every version of it is completely different Brittany I want to follow up on something that you said earlier cuz we were joking about this last night we had some big concerns about your script when it came in. We loved it, but we're like, you know, we're giving, it's a generous grant. You guys each got a $25,000 grant to go shoot your movies and then come into Dolby to do the vision uh, grade in the Atmos sound mix. But, you know, $25,000 doesn't necessarily go very far. And, I, you know, your script was, it was, I think it was maybe the longest of the, of the four. You had a lot of, you had a, you had a, a lot of scenes. You had street scenes in New York City. <laughs> you, ha you know, you have a whole scene in a church with a congregation, yeah. and uh, and then you had this insane magic mango <laughs> that you know leaps off the fruit stand and follows people down the street, and then hops into uh, you know goes into the into the smoothie shop and hop. So we, we were just very concerned about how is she going to do this. And I, I'm curious because I think we did we did push on you pretty hard. Like you know, you you might want to think about simplifying this. You know, it's exactly what you were saying. Like you know, that was the feedback that we were kind of you know gently giving you. But tell me about the process of like hearing that. But you you stuck to your gut. First off, that's like completely valid to have those concerns. <laughs> um, 
And I think one thing I learned is I feel like you have to find a balance between killing your darlings, but also sticking true to your story, um, regardless of what people will advise you. Um, and it's hard because it's like you don't want to sacrifice things in your story. Like going into this, I knew I wanted to have this mango rolling down the street. I, I knew that was like the pivotal moment and that w was what would capture people's like, you know, capture an audience. Um, and I think as a young filmmaker who this is the biggest budget I've ever had and it's not even a lot like in terms of like the scope of Hollywood. But I thought $25,000 to me was like a lot. And I was like, oh my God, I could go crazy. Like I could hire all these background actors. I could like block out a street in Queens. And then I realized like the more I talked with my producer, Kayla, about budget, I was like, that's not feasible. Like we need to pay all the crew and that that's just not gonna happen. And so it was just definitely a challenge between like, how can I still tell this story, but also, you know, like not go crazy, not go over budget. Um, so I think that's a lot of, that's something that I um, would advise myself um, to young filmmakers, or advice to young filmmakers is, um, you know, it sounds like a lot of money, but you really have to like, there's so many things that you didn't, you don't, don't think about um, that are part of the budget that you have later have to pay for like permits and like um, food, insurance. Um, and so I think again, it's just like a balance of just like um, sticking true to your story, but there's a way to do it where you can still tell your story, but you know, in a less like um, unrealistic way. Um, so instead of like hiring background actors, I reached out on Facebook groups, like to Filipino Facebook groups in New York. And I was like, does anybody wanna be in my film? It's gonna be at a church. And I feel like you have to finesse your way. Like I think as a young filmmaker, that's what you have to do, like finesse and really hustle just to like find things that are free. Cause yeah, locations is definitely like the most expensive thing. Um, so you just have to see people that, find people that will do favors for you which is really hard. But you also like were just ingenious about doing the low tech thing. Like we were all concerned about the, the magic mango, but you were just like, I'm gonna toss it down the street. Like it's, it's, it's gonna be very simple. It doesn't have to be overcomplicated. Well, it was originally gonna be animated cause my roommate, um, she's a 3D animator. And I had this whole plan of like the mango, like being animated down the street and it's gonna look more realistic. But the more I thought about it, it's like, people aren't even gonna think a magic mango is like realistic. Like it's not, people aren't gonna believe that's real anyway. So why not just make it like absurd? I, at some point I was like, okay, let's just give up like the animation. That's crazy. It's not feasible. And let's just, let's just have our set designer, Lizzie, just roll a mango. And it was really funny because during the set, we had to like figure out who was the best at the mango rolling. Um, and it turned out to be our PA Tim. He just had like that magic like flow. Like I don't know what was a what about his arm. Like the angle, it was just like perfect. He was the mango whisperer. Yeah, he was. And that day that we did all the mango stuff, it was super frustrating. I think that was like the most stressful part of it. Just like having the mango roll at a perfect speed so it doesn't hit their feet. Like getting it through the door before they close it. Like 
having it weave through, go at a certain angle, like have it be in frame. Like it was so frustrating. And it was like in Lower East Side, like the busiest part of, you know, Manhattan. But it was definitely worth it. What was it like first day on the set, you show up, it's a big, you know, you each had a pretty big crew and you show up and all these people are looking at you because you're the director. And you know they're asking, "What do you what you know? What do you want me to do?" Tell me about that that experience of that first day on set. Something that I learned first day on set is that you need to prepare, and you need to like be ready to have answers immediately. And then you have to make sure you're getting your days. And like that's that's the crazy part is having to make sure that like you get everything you need to edit it together. Yeah, because your job as the director is not to accommodate all these people and make them happy, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You're there, they're there to service your mm -hmm. vision. One of the things that went wrong on my set, well, not particularly went wrong, but it was just like, it sucked that we had to do it, is add another day. Um, and it was added on like the week before. And it was because in my mind, I thought that we could get like five locations shot in one day because they're all like in the same kind of area. But I didn't take into account like the amount of time it takes to travel there. There's gonna be rush hour. We need to get people situated, like set up. Um, and it was really like difficult to accept that because then if I add another day, that's a whole other like day rate. It's a lot of money. Yeah, like I have, that's gonna be like another day rate for like 20 people. Mm. And you have to take that into account. So I really didn't wanna do that. But in the end, I know that if I did do that, it would make everybody on my crew so stressed out because they were already stressed out on that day. So like, I'm really glad that I added that last day. And the last day was so like, it was so peaceful and easy. And we all like celebrated with our little mangoes at the end. <laughs> um, so I'm really glad that you, um, I just listened to my producer. Tell me about your collaborations. I know some of you had a little bit, a few bumps in the road with your collaborators. And in some cases actually made some changes um, midway through the process. What was that? What was that like? What did that feel like? How difficult was that in, in, in for each of you? As I was getting into the sound design process, um, I was realizing that uh, the sound wasn't getting to where it needed to be in order to, you know, like really take full advantage of what Dolby Atmos does and what it is and what it means. Like as a filmmaker and for the audience, I needed to, um, start changing directions and that was a really difficult decision to make um it's never easy like parting ways with anyone um and as i mentioned earlier you know like just bump bumping heads and having these really tough conversations i spoke to my mentor and he really helped me dive in and like find the right person for the job and then from there we were actually able to build out like a bigger team of people which is typically what's done on like the studio feature films. Um, on indie shows, sometimes it's just like one or two people who are like your supervising sound editor, but we were able to have a whole team. And mm -hmm. I feel like that was what this, like what Pause Play needed mm -hmm. was to have like multiple people <clears throat> working. I was just really excited to get access to a team who um, could all come up with ideas on their own and all work separately and then like have the supervising senator come together and like make it super cohesive. So surprisingly enough, I didn't really have that many issues at all with my collaborators on set. And I think that's because I really kind of found my people and I found my crew and I found who I worked best with. And I think that's so important as a young filmmaker to 
find people that you know you get along with and you work well with on set. Um, I have a best friend who we're we've literally been best friends for like I don't know like eight years, and we we're both in the film industry. But when we work together, we're not we don't we like clash. And so I don't work with her because we both know we we don't get along on set. So you just sometimes you even like the people that you consider close friends, like sometimes they're not beneficial to the project sometimes. Um, and so I made it a, a point to have a POC and specifically Filipino people on my set and um, women of color. And um, because of that, it was just such an amazing crew. Everybody got along so well with each other. Um, but I think the more you get into filmmaking really like even if you're on, if you're like gaffing or if you're doing sound, um, talk to the people you're with, and you just like find people. Like you literally like collect them like little like crystals along the way, like these little gems. So you just have to like get those people on your set. Building my team was was uh, crazy. I guess one of the things that I didn't think I would I would instill this, but one of the things make sure your website's up to date, yeah. young filmmakers. Like because uh, I found my DP through Google search. And because of that, uh, like, I emailed him. He got back to me. He was on set, so I got back to me at the end of the day. And within 30 minutes of that second email, we had a cold call. And I was like, you're it. I want to work with you. You get it. We clicked. And he built out the entire team. And so I worked. I, I came onto set with not having talked to anyone else on my team. And just, like, I, I had instilled in them, like, what I was doing. and and. I, like they knew the pitch deck, they knew what we were doing, they knew the script, they knew the vision. Um, but yeah, I didn't know them anyone personally. The problem I had was uh, having uh, files that weren't opening in Baselight for my my grade. And at the end of the day, it's my fault. Like as the director, everything that goes wrong is my fault. And you have to take full responsibility because you're in charge. And on top of that, like. It, it really just comes down to the fact that I'm green and like I've never taken a finished film and handed it off to a company like Dolby and had it mastered in this way. And having this experience, having it on a project that is at this level, at this scale, sets me up to be ready to do that on a much larger scale, be prepared. So it, it all kind of ties back into that that mantra of like make mistakes. And for me, it was it was, it was a hard experience. It was bumpy, but it made it so that in the future I am prepared and I, I know how this system works. I know how the machine works and I can operate in it smoothly. Last night we had the big premiere at the Academy Museum presenting your short films in Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos in front of a pretty packed house. What was it like being in that room, seeing your work on like a 60 foot screen for the first time? It was it was overwhelming to say the least. It was uh, I have a really hard time being in a theater with my own work, so I don't even know what it looks like. I had my eyes closed the entire time, um, so I've still not seen my own film. Um, but I I was just like the event as a whole was just really beautiful. I got to speak with some really incredible people and joining the celebration with my fellow filmmakers. So it was great. Yeah, I think it was super surreal, to say the least. Like, I keep thinking that the premiere didn't happen yet, and it's still, like, two weeks away. I can't believe, like, it just it just went by in, a, in the blink of an eye. Um, and I feel like 
I don't know, everything went by so fast. I was just talking to so many people and just seeing the reaction to my film was so beautiful. Um, and just having my family there and like having my friends see it, it was a really nice experience. Honestly, I feel like I was in like stages of denial, like leading up to the night of the premiere. And at first I was like, oh, I'm excited. But then I got sad and then I was nervous. And like it like it was like one day, then the next day, then the next day. Um, and then the day of I was like, oh, my God, I have to vomit. <laughs> Did you really? I, I got, I like my, I was sick to my stomach because, and also I was just like trying to like rush to get ready. And like, I, I honestly, like when I got to the Academy Museum, I was like, oh my gosh, this is happening. Like stepped out on the sidewalk and, you know, I've been there before to like go see films and to go look at the museum. And I still haven't gone through the whole thing. I just can't believe that we were even able to premiere our films in those spaces. Like that's incredible and that's an amazing honor to have. And to say that like our films got to like screen there, I kind of was absolutely floored. And then we got downstairs and got everybody like into the theater. And honestly, you're kind of just like head tipped back and it's like the final moment. There's no other changes you can make anymore at that point. And I was just literally like, floored that everyone was able to see it in like such a beautiful space that was like curated by you guys. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was a great night for sure. I want to go back to the beginning. We took you to the Vine, which is our screening room here in Hollywood. And we kind of gave you like the full on Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos demo and kind of explained because that's part of the part of the whole. I mean, it's the reason why Dolby's doing this. Like mm -hmm. part of the whole challenge is like we want to give you guys access to this technology that we've developed, Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos, for you to explore, you know, making your stories as spectacular and immersive and engaging as they can possibly be. And obviously that's not, you know, these are not technologies that are normally available to student filmmakers working, you know, making short films, but that's kind of the whole point of why we're doing this. So that very first day we brought you in and kind of strapped you to the rocket and said, here's Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos. This is what you're going to be. This is a tool that you have available to you. You do whatever you want to with it, but it's yours. So tell me about your first reaction to that. And yeah. Was that exciting? Was it scary? Was it overwhelming? I was grinning I in my chair. I was, was like shaking in my boots. <laughs> like it was. When, <laughs> I will never shut up about this. But when the, uh, the, during the demo, when it says like, "This isn't black," and then yes, it goes, and this it happened is black. yesterday at and the I was like, museum. I was like, "Yes, I, snap, goosebumps. Snap. I got goosebumps." <laughs> You know, you hear about it. You hear you hear about it through like, oh, you know, this thing is Adobe Atmos. This yeah. thing is Adobe Vision, and you like, oh, like, oh, is this? It's at the bottom of the screen when I'm looking at the credits. But then actually going into a space where you have like all the tools like readily available, and it's and it's formatted for said thing. I could not believe the sound when you guys. I, what was the song that was playing? There was a song. Uh, Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Marvin Gaye. Yeah. And, I, and the lights were oh, all that was in the room. Like, it was crazy. That was so euphoric. I wish I yes. could have like stayed in there for another five hours and just played like my favorite songs. Yes. <laughs> I remember we went to dinner and they were talking about the live experience in Las Las Vegas, and we we're like, are we gonna do a trip from here? We're gonna go out to Las Vegas. We're gonna right. do the Atmos Theater. Yeah, because it was just like I think you did a really good job of bringing us all together as a team, mm -hmm. even though like we're complete strangers. Like you gave us two hours in this theater of like like you said, strapped to the rocket. We're like, okay, we're all bonded together over this like 
a crazy overwhelming experience. And then we got to just dive right into the table read as like a unit as opposed to like four strangers ready to rip each other's head yeah. off. To just go back to the theater super quick, I think that you have to like, you know, see it to believe it, hear it to believe it kind of thing. And um, I'm just like, separately, I'm going to go to my first like Dolby cinema to watch like a feature film. And I'm gonna go see Guardians of the Galaxy 3 tomorrow with my family. And we are like, let's give Dolby our money and let's go sit in these <laughs> chairs. Like, I'm so ready. Yes. I'm so ready. Um, and because, because we got the opportunity to do exactly what these filmmakers did on a on a huge budget i'm just so stoked to like be able to be a part of this experience and for to know like what they are going through is the same thing that like we just went through yeah they just had a little more money yeah, yeah just, <laughs> just a little <laughs> i think um going back to what caitlin said about how we always see dolby like in one, in the big films, like we're always like, oh, this is made by Dolby. Oh, and I, like when I go to the movie theaters, I see like the Dolby Cinema, and I just kind of like, I know it's a big company, and I know like they're really good at what they do, but I never like actually think about how amazing their technology is until I went to that theater, and I was like, holy shit, like <laughs> this is insane, like that I watch these movies and I overlook it, I never think, oh my god, there's like a hundred speakers that like the sound travels back and forth and like the color is so vibrant and saturated. And I had a new found love and appreciation for like Dolby technology, like after that experience. And I think the other thing is watching that, I, I felt like the stakes were so much higher, like in terms of my own film. Cause I was like, you guys are putting so much work into my film and it's gonna be color graded and mixed in Dolby. It has to be good and I have to like, they're gonna slap their name on it, so you know it has to be amazing. Well, I'm curious about did, did it like you got that experience? Did did it kind of then did you go back and look at your script and kind of think about like how you know how you know how do I make use of this? I'm kind of I'm yeah. curious. When I applied, there was a lot of stuff um, asking about like how could you incorporate sound or how can you incorporate you like use the technology, and I did think about it to an extent, but. Then after listening and watching in the theater, I was like, okay, now I can like, I didn't know that it was like that insane. So I really went back in the script and I was like, I'm gonna add this sound, I'm gonna add this sound here. The sound's gonna travel. Like I really delved back into it. And um, I think Dolby helped make my film so much more immersive, especially like the scene where she's, um, it walks down Queens for the first time. Um, I definitely, me and Jurgen, we worked on the sound design just on that scene for like, like half a day. Like it was insane. But I definitely think it helped, like, with the immersive part. Because you wanted to put the audience on the street with, yes. the, with the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thomas, what about you? I'm kind of a nerd. I did a huge deep dive as soon as I found out about the project, and so like I, I researched the company, I researched Vision and Atmos, and then I went to the theater, and I was like, I, I got to see what this is about. So when I came back, I I was obviously so blown away that. I wrote my entire script around what my characters were hearing off the bat. And then coming into Atmos, what that really did for my script, it wasn't revisions for script, it was preparation for sound design and sound recording on set. Like, I gotta make sure that I'm prioritizing that over even capturing visuals. Because for me, Atmos was just like, this is gonna make what I'm doing. This is gonna be everything all at once. And so I, I really prioritized that. So 
it, for me, it kind of helped me understand where my priorities lie. Tell me about the sound mix. Um, what did you learn? What was fun about that project and about that part of the process? And I guess, how will that affect your future projects moving forward? The mix for pause play is honestly one of the coolest things I think I've ever worked on in terms of sound. Starting just with the design itself, like absolutely incredible and and you have a lot of you have a lot of opportunities for. I mean, you you you're kind of playing with that the aesthetics of like the game world mm -hmm. and real life yes. and this afterworld. So you've got a lot of yes. really great opportunities for creative sound design built into the world. Yeah, and it was it was intentional. Like from the beginning, like when I got when I when I saw the competition in the first place, and coming from a post production background, I and also like coming up in the studio system in post, getting to be on dub stages, seeing how shows are mixed and seeing how like, you know, like looking at the Pro Tools track and seeing all of the layers, 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 <laughs> and all the food groups. Um, and I wanted to emulate that. And that's very much what I wanted, wanted Pause Play to be. It was this little baby studio movie for $25,000. And, <laughs> um, and, I I wanted like in my pitch deck when I was creating it, I was like I want these kinds of sounds like I want the eight bit sounds I want the video game kind of sounds I I want to be able to like talk to my my sound designer or about like you know how can we utilize Atmos and I was thinking about that way ahead of time and um even with Dolby Vision like it through VFX like how can I how can I boost this technology um, and like literally max it out? Especially like it was so funny. I just remembered like through the the rainbow portal that you guys had, like when when you had the um, uh, the demo play right before the screening at the Academy Museum, I was just like, oh, I did do that. I think, I think, I think your rainbow portal might actually be better than ours. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> Copy and paste yeah. it. <laughs> um, and so, to go back to the sound, I I like I'm so like I'm such a sound nerd and I like literally end my emails with like sound and music teams and be like, I'm gonna bounce like a stem. <laughs> um super corny. Um but I I just sound gets me so excited and what I learned in film school, like your movie is sixty percent sound, forty percent visual. Like it like and and I couldn't argue with that because like not only does sound like obviously you're using your ears, but you're also feeling it. And so I think that's something that like I really wanted to do with Eric Foreman. Um, he was our mixer. It was just like I really wanted the audience to feel the the effects and like feel the explosions. And when I was working with Matt, I was saying like, dude, like we gotta have like F1 racer cars like zooming overhead in the rainbow portal. Um, and you know we tried to place as many um you know options as we could so that eric could use the objects because that's what they're like right the the atmost objects and he could place as many as he could instead of having to, like copy and paste what we had and make his job a little easier and just have them just like fly overhead and like it was it was really cool to see like eric messing around on the the uh table and just like using the faders and like mixing everything and also getting to see like the objects move in yeah. a 3D space because I think what like well, at least from what I've seen when I was in the studio like studio system you could see like the the objects moving but in a 2D space it's very flat but this time like 
Eric, you could see him moving and it was like literally a cube and you could see him like pushing things around the room. Um, and I just like I I know you guys showed that in the workshop, but then actually getting to do it in person. But then you're also in a time crunch. So <laughs> and, you know, like you had to go in at least like I, I went in with like a very set plan and talked with Matt beforehand about like, OK, this is the kind these are the kind of things we want to move around the room. And like, Eric, we know we're limited on time. So like this is the most important stuff. And Eric asked us to like, you know, prioritize like yeah. primary, secondary. So it was like a learning process for me, too, because like even though I do have a lot of knowledge about that part of the process, getting to actually sit in the director's chair and work with Eric and also Michael, my composer, was there. Um, and he, and like that was exciting to get to see like where they're placing instruments and all the all the sounds and you know especially using the back of the space and getting to kind of muse move we're trying to move music from like you know the typical like left right mm -hmm. setting and placing it all around the sides and across the top like the ceiling and I think you know moving out of that traditional like you know score mm -hmm. and trying to kind of like expand that in Atmos. Brittany, what about you, the mixed process, what'd you learn? Um, Jurgen taught me something really interesting that I didn't realize that was really essential to sound is like the music, like I was kind of just like placing music cause I, I edited it. I was placing music um, in random places and it just faded out, but I didn't really think about how it faded out. Mm -hmm. So he, like when he listened to it, he was like tapping hit with his finger and like, oh, like it's not ending on on a beat like you need to end on this beat so he would he would like think of when to fade things out because i just was like crossfade crossfade so mm. he really just taught me like y people will pay attention to that and i think attention to detail is like something that i learned about the sound process like every little sound counts and also um he could tell when something was recorded with a boom versus like a lav like you can i when i'm editing with my little like beats headphones <laughs> which is embarrassing. Um, I don't hear like right. the difference between the boom and the lav, but when you're in that space, you're like, oh, that sounds like tinny. Like it sounds weird. Um, and so he noticed those things and really leveled it out, which is really nice. Um, that dialogue editing I think, is kind of a magical I hate process. It. Yeah. Oh, yeah. but yeah, it is very much. But it makes a big difference. You're yeah. right. It's not that much fun. <laughs> I just remember going into, like after the sound mix, I watched Creed 3 like in a, a, a theater and I was just paying attention to the sound the entire time. Like I was like, whoa, this like, I heard this little car here and I heard the little punching. Like it was, now I pay attention to sound more in films. That's good. Thomas, what about you? One of the most memorable things I heard like growing up when I was absorbing as much as I could starting out was uh, you can watch a film that sounds great but looks terrible, but you can't watch a film that looks that looks great and sounds terrible. And so for me, like I really brought that into Atmos and it was just a phenomenal experience because Eric Foreman who who worked with me on my mix, he, like I just kept calling him a wizard because he's just <laughs> waving everything around. But we did these uh we did I had these three dream sequences in my in my short film and I knew going into that, like I wanted everything to fly around the room. I wanted their voices to be in this like reverberation and to be in different spots. So it really kind of feels like you're disoriented in the same way the character is. And for me, I think the thing that I, I learned the most was just like how to build that out in, in more body. Like 
the understanding of like clean audio and not overmodulating it and making sure that that you're you're covering your tracks with room tone and like that all made sense to me but really building out the depth of it because of what Atmos can do you can really build out so many different layers that are placed in the smallest way possible it's like finite detail that you're you might not hear unless you're in a Dolby theater, but it's it's crucial to every viewing experience, to, no matter where you are and how you're listening to it. So for me, it was really just kind of like taking those principles and just blowing them up. So final question before I let you all go. We're gonna do year three of the Finish the Script Challenge with the Ghetto Film School. So there will be another cohort of filmmakers coming along behind all of you at some point pretty soon. What's a, bit, a piece of advice that you would give them? Something that you wish that you had known when you started off on this journey? The advice I could give to the future uh, class three, um, or even the people that are applying is, you know, be patient with yourself um, and be kind to yourself. Uh, it's really difficult writing a script, let alone making an outline or even a pitch deck. Um, especially because first time, you know, like, and that was my first time making one that was like that in depth. Um, and to just like also plan, I think like you think you plan enough and there's no, there's no such thing as like over planning. Honestly, that's what I've learned. Um, but I also learned like to humanize more and like, I think in filmmaking and I was just reflecting on this, um, earlier, um, when Brittany was talking about like treating how do you treat your crew and um you have to remember to like humanize your your team your cast your crew all the people that are supporting you um and uh, i feel like in filmmaking you know i talked about it being difficult um i think that's just something in general that we forget to do and these people are like they again are there in, on your time your team is there on your time but also like you have to support them and you have to listen to them um and you have to respect them and i think like that was one of the most important things is like as a leader of a team and they're all like relying on you you have to remember that like they are human and people make mistakes and you need to have some grace and i think that's the biggest thing i could give to the next class for me going into this process I was a little bit different from the other filmmakers in the sense that I was like still in school. I was still freelancing. Um, yeah, the, the other filmmakers, obviously they like graduated, they're like doing their full-time jobs. I was still, yeah, I was still like going through school. And um, it was definitely a lot like handling this along with school. And like I had an internship I think at the time and like doing all these other things and being on other sets. Um, so for any filmmakers that are younger and are still in school doing other things, like you really have to learn to make this a priority, um, even from the start. Like I had so many other things going on that I was like, oh, I could, I can handle all of it, but I didn't really make it a priority or realize how much of a priority it was until like a little bit later on. So I, I think you really have to like make this your number one this is your child, you know, you have to make it your child. And um, I think the other thing is you have all of this, ama these amazing professionals and technology at your disposal, like use it to the best of your advantage because 
you don't know if you'll ever get this opportunity again. And that's something I realized, like I, you really need to like, um, talk with these people in the industry. They have so much knowledge and experience, like really take advantage of that and, um, live in the moment. Um, that's something that I did a little bit on set, but I feel like I, up until this point, and even probably a week from now, I won't fathom that this is actually over. And so I feel like you really need to take every day and be like, dang, like I'm working with Dolby. I'm working with all these amazing people. Like this is an amazing opportunity. Everyone that I've talked to is like, Brittany, like this is crazy. Like they flew you out to LA, you're doing all these crazy things. So you really just need to just say that to yourself every day. Like you are working with Dolby and it's it's so cool. and hopefully more things will come out of this. And like Carlos said, even when you're anxious or like stressed about the, your career, cause there will be anxiety, think about this experience and that you were capable of doing that. Like there's so many challenges, but you did that. The thing that I would say to the incoming freshmen <laughs> would be um, check yourself before you walk through the door. Uh, make sure that you're not coming in with an ego, that you don't know everything. These people are here to educate you. They're here to, to encourage you. They're here to answer your questions. I, with you, Glenn, I, I remember asking you all kinds of questions at the workshop with Eric on my sound, uh, my sound mixing. Like I remember just like trying to absorb as much information as possible. And on the flip side, don't let your insecurities rule you. Like recognize that these people believe in you and they gave you this opportunity. And by you sitting there and feeling insecure, you're wasting time and you're getting in your own way. So try to find that balance as often as you can. Just center yourself and realize that like, you don't know everything, but you know something and there's people behind you. I'm confident that each of you is just starting on a really interesting career path. And hopefully you'll be back on the Dolby podcast again, talking about a feature film sometime down the road. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> really, really proud of the films and proud of the way that each of you showed up, went through this process, and learned a lot and made these films. Congratulations to you all. Thank you. Thank you so much. Many thanks to our brave filmmakers, Thomas, Brittany, and Caitlin, for being so open to talk with us today. And a special thanks also to Carlos Lopez Estrada and everyone at the Ghetto Film School for their collaboration with us on this amazing program. You can watch all the films from this year's Finish the Script Challenge on Dolby's YouTube channel, along with some amazing behind-the-scenes videos by Ian Sotsing and Jordan Fatke. And always, and as always, you can find links in our show notes. If you'd like even more conversations with artists and filmmakers about how they use technology to tell their stories, please make sure you are subscribed to us, the Dolby Institute Podcast. You can find links to our show on all the major podcasting platforms, including our video version on YouTube in our show notes, or you can simply search for Dolby wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're curious to know more about the Dolby Institute, head on over to dolbyinstitute.com. There you will find information about all of our programs. You can access the entire library of episodes of this podcast, and you can sign up for our mailing list. Until next time, thanks again for joining us. This is the Dolby Institute podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. Our producer and editor is Michael Coleman. Our executive producers are Amanda Schneider and Jack Ferry with additional editing by Matt Nixon. And our production coordinator is Sonny Chen. Thanks again for listening.